Although it seems to me that sorry seems to be the hardest word. Elton, how right you are. Nobody really likes to say sorry, do they? I think we'd all like to find ourselves rarely in the position of needing to apologise. But a good apology can go a long way. It can repair relationships, open up conversations and foster closeness when we might otherwise drift apart. And for public figures, it can make or break their credibility. If a politician gets it wrong but they apologise and fix it, we're a lot more forgiving than if they obfuscate and shift the blame. Unfortunately, plenty do the latter. So why are people so bad at apologies? And what makes a good one? Here to discuss this with me are the Sorry Watchers and co-authors of Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies, Susan McCarthy and Marjorie Ingle. Hey, Marjorie. Hey, how you doing, Jacob? Good, thank you. And hey, Susan. Hi there. Susan, you wrote an article in 2001 with the headline, How to Say You're Sorry, A Refresher Course. What made you first pay attention to, to bad apologies? You know, there were some apologies in the news that were at the time, which are, you know, now forgotten. They were sorry <laughs> if apologies. Yeah. And almost everyone's hackles go up when someone says sorry if. Sorry mm. if you couldn't handle it. Sorry if your nation went into irrational mourning. You know, so I just did a humor piece making fun of sorry if apologies. And it turned out that people really responded to that. They were printing it out and showing it to their family and saying, see, see, this is why I'm still upset. <laughs> Marjorie, you've written about children learning to apologize properly. Is it the sort of thing that's a bit like learning a language or an instrument that it's easier the younger that you do it? Uh, that's a great parallel. Yes. And unfortunately, a lot of us did not have great apologies modeled for us when mm. we were kids. We saw our parents do apology-worthy things, yeah. <laughs> and then our parents would have a terrible fight, and we'd think yeah. that they were going to break up, and then somehow somehow the next day everything was fine, and we never saw, you know, how the sausage was made. Or, you know, we teach kids to apologize without, you know, we we order them to apologize without talking about the emotional stuff behind it. So, as with learning language, you know, you get better at it the more you practice. Does a sorry for a lot of people feel too much like a reflex, that it's something, as you say, that you're told or forced to do as opposed to being something that you inherently just think, I need to apologize, so I'm going to? I think so. I think I think that happens a lot. And that's one reason why there are so many bad apologies out there, because people don't want to apologize. They don't think they should have to apologize. And so they try to save their pride and say things like, well, I'm sorry if that came out badly. You know, I regret that I was taken out of context. Mm. Sorry you couldn't handle it. Stuff that is just not satisfying to people being apologized to. Right. Nobody is ever going to be happy with an apology that comes with words like obviously and regrettable <laughs> and I've already apologized and sorry if, sorry but, sorry you never going to be satisfying. Is it a hard thing that because the news cycle kind of moves so quickly now for public figures that they've been told they need to apologise before they might have got the chance to apologise, then they do this sort of really reactive apology, which is always a little bit rubbish. Whereas actually, if we weren't haranguing them for the apology in the first place, they might maybe, if we give them the benefit of the doubt, have formed a better apology on their own. Uh, Susan, what do you what do you think? You're very generous in, in giving politicians <laughs> and celebrities the benefit of the doubt. I admire that about you because apologizing isn't fun. It's hard. You know, we have easy steps. They're easy to understand and actually difficult to carry out. And it's just, 
you know, instinctive to protect ourselves. Hmm. Marjorie, tell me how you two got together to start the Sorry Watch website and how did you begin? How do you two link up for that? Uh, Susan and I have been friends for ages and I used to live in San Francisco where Susan lives and I moved to back to New York City. I loved Susan's piece about sorry if apologies. Mm. And Susan knew that I often write for Jewish publications about the high holidays and, you know, the tradition of saying you're sorry all the time. And also I did a lot of parenting writing and Susan suggested we do this website, Sorry Watch Together, which we sort of tongue in cheek call an apology watchdog website. And uh, that was in 2012. And who knew that in America in 2016, suddenly there would be a huge increase in interest in people who absolutely refuse to apologize no matter what. And uh, we decided to I do books. I wonder who that could Sorry. be. Who could yeah, be that who person? can't <laughs> imagine what orange individual that might have been. Um, so, flash in the pan. Flash in the pan, exactly. Uh, so then we decided to do the book because it gave us the opportunity to go deeper into research on apology, to really think about governments and apology. You know, the the site started with us being a lot more tongue-in-cheek than it ended up being, as we discovered just how rich this topic was and how satisfying a good apology is. What's been your favorite apology in, in recent times? One apology that we both just love was an apology a guy got out of the blue Chad Michael Morissette is an artistic designer in Hollywood. And on Facebook, he got a message from someone saying, I don't know if you remember me. We went to the same high school and I was a bully. I bullied you. My daughter was doing a unit in school on bullying. And she asked me, we were talking and she asked me if I'd ever bullied anyone. And suddenly I remembered. And I remember how awful we were to you. And I'm really, really sorry. And it took the guy who got the apology a couple days to think about it. And then he said, thank you. That that means a lot to me. No one else has ever reached out. Now, this was a guy who was bullied so badly, he had to be escorted down the hall. The entire football team at the school in his small town bullied him. And then, you know, the guy who'd apologized wrote back in, in response and said, thank you. I'm, I, it means a lot to me that you accept my apology. And it it went, you know, a lot of people passed this around. As they say, it went viral. Just apology for something that was so hurtful so long ago, coming out of the blue, and the acceptance of the apology. It was just really lovely. Do you think, Susan, that we have to, we should look at apologies as something that is not just beneficial for the person you're giving it to, but as you say there, it should be beneficial to you. Not that you should apologize in a selfish way, but a good apology should feel nice both ways if you do it right. Absolutely. Absolutely. First of all, you get a noble feeling, which never bad. Yeah. Yeah. And secondly, love that. Yeah. And secondly, a lot of us will find these things that we think about at three or four in the morning that you look back and you go, oh, I was a jerk. Oh, oh, oh. And once you actually do a good apology for that, if you're able to and get a response that's good, it drops off the list of things to beat yourself up about. There were a couple of times when I wanted to write about an apology I had made. And it was such a successful apology that I can't even remember what it was that I said that I apologized for. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Marjorie, there's a chapter in your book, which is called Blame It on the Brain. 
again, to give people a slight benefit of the doubt, can we sometimes shirk a bit of responsibility for being rubbish just because of our our biology and the way that we have come to come to be the the fallibility of humans, as it were? I'd rather flip that and say that when we manage to overcome everything our own brain sets in our way, uh, which is considerable, then that is something to be applauded. You know, we are designed to get through the world by seeing ourselves as a good person, Mm. by seeing ourselves, we are the hero of our own story. And to apologize well, you have to acknowledge that you are the bad guy in somebody else's story. And you have to take responsibility for that. And unfortunately, the way we are designed to deal with cognitive dissonance is to sort of rejigger it in our own favor. Mm. So we don't see ourselves when we are, we are, we genuinely do not see ourselves as the bad person. You know, Susan and I still practice our apologies that we owe other people on each other because it is so hard to do right. And that's why we have this little six and a half step thing to look at. And I literally, if I'm calling someone on the phone, I literally have it open on my desktop. Susan, could you talk me a little bit through those the six steps and what they are for someone if they, they want to make a good apology? What are they? I would love to do that. I will say, though, that they're designed for making a good apology, but they're just as good for looking at apologies that people have made to you and seeing if those were good apologies. The first step is to say you're sorry or say, I apologize. Don't say something vague like, oh, I'm regretful, because everybody's regretful after that terrible incident. Number two is say specifically for what you're apologizing. A lot of times people will gloss over it and they'll say, oh, I'm sorry about the way the meeting went south. I'm sorry about the dinner party. I'm sorry about Wednesday night. No, you have to be specific and say what it is that you're apologizing for. Step number three is show that you understand the impact. You know, I danced on the table in a fit of exuberance and I broke (laughs) half your dishes. No excuses. No say, you know, the party was dumb and it needed to be livened up. No. Sometimes an explanation is called for. You know, I actually, my kid has the same model trike. I wasn't trying to steal your kid's trike. I actually thought it was his. I'm sorry. Say why it won't happen again. The next time I think that's my kid's trike, I'll check the handlebars and see if the streamers are there. That's number five. Number six is making reparations. You know, I, I will pay for that china I broke when I danced on your table. The half step is is listen. Give the person mm. you're apologizing to a chance to have their say. You may find out that they didn't like that China anyway. <laughs> Marjorie, do people mistake explanations for excuses? Is that a problem there? Susan mentioned that you should explain, but an explanation isn't it's an explanation of a of a why it happened, but it's not a it doesn't mean that that isn't wrong or right. It's not a value judgment just because there's a theory behind it. Almost always explanations are excuses. That's the one that always trips me up personally, is I want there to be, I want to explain the extenuating mm. circumstances that were why the thing. No, you know, that's the, the thing about a, a good apology, as, as you said earlier, it centers the other person. Yeah. And generally the explanation slash excuse centers me and is really often a justification. So yeah, that's the step that I think is the trickiest and the one you have to be the most careful with. Do people sort of conflate the the circumstances with the outcome? So, for example, I don't know, Marjorie, if, if we were in person right now and I knocked you over and broke your arm, no matter what the circumstances are, I have broke your arm. So it's the outcome that I need to be talking about. The rest is somewhat superfluous. Right. What, uh, one of the things that we like to say is intent 
matters a lot less than impact. And in that case, that would be truly impact. Yeah. <laughs> because you would have really incredible, yeah. incredible hulked me over there. <laughs> I thought it would be interesting for us to to look at a couple of specific apologies from a couple of characters in the UK that uh, I'd say politely we don't like too much for the most part. But the the first is Boris Johnson with his Partygate apology from April 2022. But let me begin in all humility by saying that on the 12th of April, I received a fixed penalty notice relating to an event in Downing Street on the 19th of June 2020. I paid the fine immediately. Let me also say, not by way of mitigation or excuse, but purely, purely because it explains my previous words in this House, that it did not occur to me then or subsequently that a gathering in the Cabinet room just before a vital meeting on Covid strategy could amount to a breach of the rules. I repeat, that was my mistake and I apologise for it unreservedly. To me, everything he says there is not unreserved. He says unreservedly at the end. But there's actually been quite a lot of reservations there. Uh, Susan, what do you what do you think? Good or bad apology? Oh, I'm afraid it it's bad, just as you fear. It's all about the excuses. He does these little rhetorical things, like not I apologize, but I want to apologize. I already did apologize. Mm. I apologize unreservedly, and as you point out, there's lots of reservations there. It just <laughs> it doesn't come off as sincere. So is that a problem when you don't apologise all in one go, that sometimes people do little sort of piecemeal apologies? Is it always better to you know, rip that apology plaster right off and just say it all at once? I think so. I think I think that each apology, you know, you don't get to footnote it to previous apologies. Each apology, if you have to, if you apologise and people don't accept it and you have to apologise again, start fresh and don't say, you know, See the third sentence of my previous apology. Yeah. That was pretty abject. No. Right. There's a reason why the word already is just such a triggering word for people yeah. in apologies is, yeah, it's it's it says, do I really have to do this again? Yeah. It's like and a sigh, essentially. Yes, isn't it's it? like a sigh. Yeah. Yeah. Marjorie doesn't actually say sorry, does he? Is that somewhere where it just really falls down? Just the word sorry to me is a lot stronger than I apologize. There are linguists who discuss this, and actually, um, it's Betastella, right, uh, Susan, who talks about he, he actually prefers yes. apology. Uh, he prefers I apologize, which to him is more formal. Mm. But I think in the world that I, I agree with you that I like sorry because it sounds more conversational, and particularly for people who we expect to have these overly crafted PR massaged crisis communications oriented apologies. Making it sound like you is mm. really important. Unfortunately, that actually did sound like Boris, which was not yeah. really beneficial. On to a second apology, which we're going to play a clip of now. We've got uh, Pretty Patel, who again is a mm, not not particularly popular among our crowd uh, politician here in the UK, with her apology over bullying accusations. I'm sorry that my behaviour has upset people, and I've never intentionally 
um, set out to upset anyone. That was Pretty Patel in a broadcast interview shown on Sky News. Marjorie, intention there. Straight away, she's talking about intention. And yep, she as uses the word. Doesn't matter. Matters far less than impact. And this notion of there's definitely a sorry if in there. Mm. Uh, sorry to anyone who is offended is no. When you apologize, you apologize to everyone, especially if it's a, pu- a public political apology. Everyone is affected, not anyone. She also throws in the thousands of civil servants who apparently aren't bothered by her mm. as a as a casual thing. And also coming to this as an American, I certainly had heard a bit about this, but coming into as an American, I look at her apology and I go, what is she apologizing for? What is this about? And that's always a danger sign when you look at an apology. People always send us apologies and say, what do you think of this? And if you look at the apology, read the apology, listen to the apology, and you can't tell what they're apologizing for, that's a huge red flag. Moving on from that, but slightly keeping on the thread, Marjorie, I'm playing devil's advocate again here because I like to do that every so often. Is one issue that people feel like there's no point to saying sorry because they've probably already been judged by the time they do. So I'm not disputing that Pretty Patel doesn't seem like a very nice person. But if you already feel like people don't think you're a very nice person and you already feel you're cornered, does that make it hard to have the space to make a make a good apology? Our feeling is politicians are still human beings and you still should be the kind of person who goes through the world apologizing when you screw up, Mm. apologizing to your spouse, apologizing to your children. And if you apologize to your friends and if you are in a position of power, apologizing to the people who you are theoretically serve. Yes, of course, there will always be people who will not forgive you. That Mm. doesn't matter. First of all, you can speak to the people who had hopes for you and are disappointed by you. But, you know, we do make distinctions in our book between public and private apologies because, unfortunately, being disappointed by public apologies is not new and is not likely to be a thing. You know, it's always wonderful when there is a great public apology, but all we can do is try to do better than our leaders in our own personal lives. Brits, particularly, we we love an apology. We apparently say sorry nearly 10 times a day. Marjorie, you spoke about saying sorry to all sorts of different people in your life. And I, I would agree that we should be better at saying sorry and say sorry more often when we need to. But do we also need to be be conscious about our apologies to make sure they don't lose lose impact? Like I, say, I just say sorry to people for completely pointless things. Like, I, you know, going slightly ahead of them in a, in a shop queue, I'll turn around and say sorry. Does that weaken more wide apologies and is that sort of reactive nature a reason why when we truly need to apologize we kind of put it to a lower level i don't think they're necessarily related the term phatic apology in linguistics is just that sort of knee-jerk visceral smoothing the way kind Mm. of apology that i actually think is more of a verbal tick and doesn't have that much to do with the act of crafting a real i have wronged you I wish to make it right. Mm. I also worry that, you know, the sort of snarky, you know, Americans love to mock British and Canadian people for their sorries and sorries. And, uh, (laughs) you know, it's a way, it's a sort of crafty distancing act from a way of talking about real and meaningful apologies. Susan, what do you think? 
I think uh, I agree with that. I also think the the Fatic Apollo, you know, so, sorry for 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 being in line and and almost moving ahead. I would prefer to think of those as practice. I myself have a hard time admitting that I'm wrong, possibly because it scarcely ever happens. No, um, <laughs> and I when I realized this years ago, and you know, admitting you're wrong is related to apologizing. And I started practicing and saying things like, uh, oh, the salt is on the table. You were right. I was wrong. And just, you know, I, finding out that I could do that and not burst into flame made it good practice. <laughs> and also I find that sometimes when I say to someone, wow, you were right. I was wrong. They'll say, I don't think anybody ever said that to me before. <laughs> Marjorie, do you have hope that we can all truly get better at apologising? You have these rules, you obviously want to encourage people to get better at it, but are there just, unfortunately, some people in the world who have personality types, which means they're probably going to be bad at it forever? Has observing apologies given you hope, or do you not have hope for, for some people? The reason why the subtitle of our book is The Case for Good Apologies is because we have hope. Mm. And we have reason to have hope. I think there's a reason that apologies like the one Susan spoke of from Chad Michael Morissette, the one he received, there's a mm. reason why those things go viral. Mm. And that's because we all crave these stories of good apologies and human connection and expectations upended and people doing right by each other. And we can all have this role both in giving apologies and in accepting apologies of building the kind of world we want to live in. Susan and Marjorie, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Listeners, if you enjoyed the podcast, remember you can back us on Patreon so we can keep making them. There's a link in the show notes or just search Bunker Patreon Podcast. And if you need to, remember to say sorry to someone today. I'm going to do a little apology and say sorry to my mum for getting annoyed at her for not really understanding what podcasts are. And I'm going to make reparations by showing her what they are and making sure she can download this and listen to it so she can hear me saying sorry for that. This is Jacob Jarvis. Thank you for joining me in the bunker. The Bunker Daily was written and presented by Jacob Jarvis. The producers were Alex Reese and Jack Gerbertson, with assistant production from Kasia Tomashevich. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, and the audio producer was me, Jay Bailey. The group editor is Andrew Harrison, and our marketing manager is Gina Richard. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by James Parrott, The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Bunker.